You're listening to sermons from Crossroads Community Church. You can find out more information about Crossroads by visiting our website at crossroads.cc or by visiting us on Sunday mornings at 1420 Lakeside Drive in Yorktown, Virginia. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. All right, good morning, everybody. Let's go ahead and let our kids go out first. They're anxious to go, piggybacking on their way out. And uh, come on, let's hear it for our kids' ministry team back in the back. Appreciate them so much. <clears throat> Lots of kids running out today. Um, I do want to mention, I, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we are hiring. Uh, so we're looking for somebody that has high admin skills and loves kids and students. Uh, it's admin of family ministries. It's part-time position. Uh, and so if that you know, if you have high admin gifts and you're looking for something to do that makes a huge investment in the kingdom, we'd love to have you on our team, which I think is the greatest team ever. Um, and so there's some uh, job descriptions on the table out there at guest services. Uh, you can pick those up um, or um, come talk to me, shoot an email to office at crossroads.cc. We'll send the job description to you. Uh, but resumes are we're, we're, we put a deadline of them, I think, for the end of this week. So uh, please do that if you would. I want to invite you, uh, men, to the men's event on Saturday morning at 8.30. Uh, men's breakfast, I'm understanding there's going to be omelets and bacon and sausage and pancakes and on and on and on it goes. Uh, so it's going to be a good uh, hearty breakfast for us. And then we'll, uh, we'll do some stuff around the table, connecting with each other. And then we're going to go do some projects around the church that you may be able to help with if you can do that. Uh, if you'd like to stay, and also even maybe out, outside of here, helping some others that need some help um, that are uh, close to the church, and we can send a team over there to do some work in their yards and stuff. So uh, sign up for that if you would. Um, this is the last Sunday that you can sign up for it, so do it now. Get your phone out now. Go to, the, uh, go to events on the website or app and sign up now. We'd love to have you with us for that. I am a little concerned about today just because you guys all just ate a bunch of sweets on your way in. And uh, I'm afraid you're all going to have a sugar crash in the next 10 minutes or so. Everybody's going to fall asleep during the sermon. So uh, keep your neighbor awake, okay? Shake them, make sure they stay awake uh, for the message today. All right. Uh, so several years ago, um, I, I really enjoy giving Christmas presents. I like doing surprises. Anybody else like giving surprises? Uh, so I, I love doing that. And several years ago, my son and I had been away for a week, and he... Um, uh, we saw this this guy, and he had a, a man bag. You know what I'm talking about? A man bag. And so uh, he started talking about this um, designer, this Italian designer named Salvador Ferragamo. Anybody ever heard of him? Uh, makes, I think he started making shoes first, and then other things, and bags and stuff. Incredible. Uh, really, uh, I think, a really great design. So I thought, man, I'm going to really surprise my son, and I'm going to get him a Salvador Ferragamo man bag. And, uh, and I was so excited, man. My, my wife, she's the, the shopper. She found the best deal. We bought it used because we certainly can't afford a, a real one. This was his big gift. Like this was a pretty expensive gift, his main big gift. So we get to Christmas. I'm so excited to see him. He opens it. His face is elated. He's so excited. Thanks, Mom and Dad. You're the best. I can't believe it. This is great. And then when the Christmas chaos wore off, he came out into the living room and sat down by, with, uh, beside me on the chair and snuggled up real close to me and uh, started to have this serious talk. Dad, can I talk to you about something? Yeah, what is it? 
well, I'm so thankful for what you and mom gave me, and it was so great, and I'm so surprised, and I just love my son. He's got such a sweet heart. And then he goes, but it's not really my style. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. You know, I'm like, okay, we can return it. We'll, we'll, we'll try to return it, but we had gotten it used, and, and it, that wasn't possible. I tried to sell it on eBay. That didn't happen. So I did something that probably a lot of you would probably think I'm crazy for doing. I bought the bag from him. So I paid for it one time, and then I paid for it again so that he could have the money to go do something else with it. And now I carry the bag, so you probably think, wow, this is a very wealthy pastor. I carry a Salvador Ferragamo uh, bag. I keep my computer in it, my Bible, and all that sitting on the front row over there. But um, it reminds me so much of what Jesus has done for us. And this is kind of a theme of uh, the book of Colossians, that Jesus created him, created us. We were designed by him. We were created by him. He knit us together. Remember in Colossians it says we were created by Jesus and for Jesus. So there's this idea that Jesus, that he made you. He made you. He created you. And then he bought you. He bought you with his own blood. He created you and he bought you. So that would be like me if I was Salvador Ferragamo. It'd be like me walking into a store and saying, do you have that bag? The bag that I designed, by the way. And then laying the money on the counter and saying, I would like to buy that bag. Jesus created you and he bought you. Guess what? You are twice his. That bag over there is twice mine. And you are twice his because he created you and he bought you. That's one of the themes of the book of Colossians. And today's message is called, um, the name of it's an old hymn. The title of the message is an old hymn, Jesus Paid It All. You know that song? Jesus Paid It All. That's the message title. Let's do our memory verse today first before we get too far into this. Colossians 1.17, we've all been working on it together. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Colossians 1.17. I hope that's been encouraging to you. Whatever's going on in your life, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Our prayer has been this, Lord, I expect my loved ones to trust you fully, but start with me. I'm going to go first. God, I want to trust you fully, and I want my family and my loved ones to trust you fully as well. So be praying that with us, uh, and I hope that that's your prayer, that you want to trust God fully. So we're in this series, Only Jesus. We've been looking at the book of Colossians together. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2 today. It's a short little letter. Uh, Colossians is written by, anybody remember? The Apostle Paul, yeah, to the church of Colossae. And it has one major theme, uh, one major theme in the book of Colossians, that Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. He is supreme. He is above all things. He is sufficient. He is all we need. There is nothing lacking in Jesus. Jesus is everything. And the reason why he wrote this little letter is because he was addressing some threats in the church of Colossae. Uh, the church, and you look in chapter one, the church seems to be doing very well. Uh, but in that, there were some threats because of the culture around them that were infiltrating the church a little bit. And the first threat was that false teachers were teaching that Jesus was less than God. He's less than God. Um, and so he's, he's writing this to say, no, he's not less than God. Jesus is 
everything, because they're being influenced by the culture around them. Rome, around them, there were hundreds of, of temples, hundreds of shrines to all different kinds of, of gods. In fact, it was like the golden corral of gods. Pick which one you want. You need the god for fertility? You, you want to be fertile? Worship the god of fertility. You, you, want, you, you, you want some sunshine in your life? There's a god for that. You want some wealth in your life? There's a God for that. In fact, you could take any of the aspects of any of those gods, and you could pull them together and make the God that suits your need. I like this about that God. I like this about that God. I like this about that God. So I'm going to take all of those things, and I'm going to build a God that suits my needs, kind of like build a bear. You ever, ever build a bear? Build a bear theology is what it is. There was actually even a temple to, um, to a God, the sewer God, uh, in around the church of Colossae. Can you imagine a temple where people worshiped the sewer god? Imagine what worship was like there. I, I think it probably stunk. What do you think? <laughs> um, anyway, dad joke for the day. Um, but again, you could, take, you could take all of these different gods and make the god that you wanted. So this was kind of, you know, I don't believe that the church was teaching that, but it was beginning to infiltrate in the church that Jesus wasn't enough. You needed other you needed other things to thrive. Jesus alone wasn't enough. It was Jesus and that God, or Jesus and that angel, or Jesus and that ritual, or Jesus and that law, but especially Jesus and knowledge. That was a big threat as well. Jesus and knowledge. There was this secret knowledge that was only attainable to a select few people in the faith. We call it now Gnosticism, uh, which Gnosis means to know. So there was this special knowledge that only a few privileged people in a privileged class could understand, and it, it elevated them above everybody else because of this deeper and higher special knowledge of God. So salvation then was, to them, was Jesus plus this special knowledge. And Paul swoops in and is like, no, 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 no. Jesus is everything. Jesus is is enough. If you have Jesus, you have all that you need. Amen? All that you need. All that you need. So it's really this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You've probably seen that equation before. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Don't be naive to think that we don't fall into these same things today. It's always Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and Jesus and a political party. We've seen that. Jesus and Mother Mary. We've seen that. Jesus and my church denomination. Jesus and these particular rules. Jesus and this special knowledge. Jesus and good behavior. Jesus and the New York Yankees or whatever it is, okay? Whatever it is. Whatever you want to put in after the and. It's Jesus and. Jesus and. He's saying, no, Jesus is everything he's enough. And so Paul writes this little letter to the church to remind them of that, but also to us thousands of years later to read this and realize, yeah, Jesus is all that I need. So Colossians chapter 2, we've moved from chapter 1 to chapter 2 now. We're going to look in verses 8 to verses 15. So if you've got your Bible, follow along with me. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, see to it, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You can see this is the lens that we read this, the lens of knowing why it was written. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, Jesus. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of 
over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Isn't that amazing? Really good stuff right there. Lots of great stuff. Um, did you pick up on all the metaphors there? Paul is the, the king of metaphors. You read any of the letters of Paul, and you pick up on all these different things. Well, here in these few verses, he stacks five different metaphors, one on top of the other, in five different ways. Using five different metaphors, he talks about the same event in history, the cross of Jesus Christ. Circumcision, baptism, a resurrection, a financial transaction, and a military victory. It's like he realizes as he's writing this that there could be different people in the audience. You know, there could be somebody who is a military person that reads this. It will make sense to them. It could be somebody that's a banker or you know, kind of financially smart, they would read this and understand. It could be a Jewish person. It could be on and on and on. So he hits these five different ways to talk about the same exact thing. Very, very cool. He stacks the metaphors about how Jesus is everything. So let's go through them. There's really three, this is the way the message is organized. There's really three main points to the, this, these verses that we read and five different metaphors inside of those three points. So first, we realize in these verses that Jesus is everything because he cleansed our past. Amen? He cleansed our past. So he uses a metaphor of circumcision first. Verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So why did Paul use the metaphor of circumcision? Well, remember the lens of why he was writing the letter. He was addressing this Jesus and mentality. A little bit of this, a little bit of this. Right here, he's addressing Jesus and ritual. Circumcision was a, a ritual, and a pretty important one, actually. It, was, it represented the covenant of, that God had with his people. God and the nation of Israel, but also God and individually, and families and individual people. But the ritual itself had become an issue, because it became, if you want to be right with God, you have to go through the ritual of circumcision. Do I need to explain what circumcision is? Are we all good? Everyone's good? Okay, everyone's good. So we won't explain it. But it was an outward ceremony of an inward spiritual reality. It symbolized the, the cutting away of the flesh life. It symbolized this covenant that we have with God that I follow God. And people began to look at that ritual as if it was like a magic charm. As long as I get circumcised, then I'm good with God. So the ritual, they believed, would save them. It was Jesus and the early church, Jesus and this ritual of circumcision. Paul steps in and says, no, uh, uh, uh. 
You don't add anything to Jesus. It's just Jesus, not Jesus and rituals. It gets dangerous when we start adding those things. So ultimately, what he's saying here is circumcision doesn't make a person right with God. It's not enough. The only thing that makes us right with God is Jesus Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection. Paul talks about here the circumcision of the heart that Christ does. So it's this circumcision of the heart, the putting away of the flesh, circumcised by Christ. We are not made right with God through a rich ritual, but only through Jesus Christ. He's everything. So he uses this metaphor of circumcision. He's the only one who changes our hearts. He's the only one who cleanses our past. He's the only one that makes us right with God, is Jesus. So if the metaphor of circumcision didn't click with you, which I'm imagining probably it didn't with most of you in the room, what about baptism? The metaphor of baptism. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So having been buried with him, it says, buried with him and also raised with him through your faith in Jesus Christ, that he was raised from the dead. So we're buried with him. My old life is gone. I'm raised to life a new life. I'm raised with him a new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. What does it say? The old has gone and the new has come. When we're baptized, we, we show that our old self is dead and we've now been made new. We show that Jesus died and that Jesus rose again, that we die and we rise again with him. Maybe the best way to describe baptism, if you're ready to sign up for baptism, is to say, welcome to your funeral, because that's what it is. We, we stand up here, you come in the water, you, you're, you, we put you down in the water backwards like this, as if we are burying you, you are buried, buried, dead, under the ground, buried, and we hold you there for a really long time, not really. And then you come out of the water, you rise with Christ. I mean, don't think of it coming out of the water. Think of it exploding out of the water. You explode out of the water. I am a new person. I rise with Christ, newness of life. I die with him, I rise with him. I'm a new person. The old is gone, the new has come. He cleanses our past. By the way, baptism is coming on Easter morning. And now is the time to sign up, okay? Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week. Sign up today, okay? Take the step and be baptized. He cleanses our past. Second, he cancels our debt. Jesus canceled my debt, okay? So if circumcision doesn't do it for you, baptism doesn't do it for you, those aren't your metaphors that get your attention. How about a resurrection? How about the metaphor of the resurrection? Verse 13 says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, okay? Let's start with the word dead here. Dead. Our sins make us dead. Dead. There is nothing that a dead person can do for themselves. I've performed a lot of funerals and way too many lately. I have never, never finished a funeral and then gone to Walmart two days later and seen the person that was in the casket in front of us walking around in Walmart. The person is, is dead. 
dead. There's nothing that they can feel, nothing that they can understand, nothing that they can respond to, nothing they can do for themselves. They are completely dead. Every single one of us has broken every single commandment of God, and it says the wages of sin is death. You can't improve that. It would be so lame for me to walk up to a casket and say, hey, did you watch the game last night? It was great. Did you see it? There's no response to that. They can't respond to that. So the only thing, the only thing that a dead person needs, the only hope for a dead person is what? A resurrection. A resurrection. It's the only thing. Verse 13 says, you were dead in your sins, but God made you alive with Christ. He forgave our sins. Alive with Christ. The death and resurrection of Jesus can make what is dead alive. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you also will be saved. You will rise from the dead. He makes us alive. He forgives all of our sins. Amen? Now, if the circumcision doesn't do it for you, or baptism, or the resurrection, how about a financial transaction? Verse 13 says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He made us alive by forgiving the sins that made us dead. And how did he do that? He forgives our sins by getting rid of the certificate of debt that was against us because of our sins. He gets rid of it, the charges that are against us. Listen to a couple different versions of the same verse. I love these. The New American Standard Bible says, Having canceled the certificate of debt consisting of, our, of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The Living Bible says this, he, he took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. The message says this, think of it, all sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to Christ's cross. Listen to what uh, this translation by J.B. Phillips. I love this one. It says, Christ has utterly wiped out the damning evidence of broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads and has completely annulled it by nailing it over his own head on the cross. That's powerful. Have you ever had guilt and condemnation and sin hanging over your head? Thank you. Yes. It weighs on us. It weighs us down. We know that we've blown it. We know that we're not worthy. And it says that he wipes it all away by nailing it to the cross, putting it over his own head. We often think that there were three nails at the cross of Jesus, one in each hand and one between his feet, but there were actually four nails, one at each hand one between his feet, and one that was nailed above his head with the charges that were against him. Crossroads, those were not his charges. Those were our charges. Those were your charges. Those were my charges. It was our certificate of debt, and he ripped it up by driving a nail through it, the debt paid in full. 
That should get you guys a little more excited than that. I, I'll never forget the day that I gave my life to Jesus. I, I was at a revival service. I was about seven years old. And uh, I just, it was in that moment that it all became real to me. I was young, but I believed that Jesus died for my sins. I believed that he paid my debt, and I wanted to live my life for him. And um, this revival pastor gave us an opportunity to respond. And I'm telling you, I didn't hear a voice. Some of you have. I didn't hear a voice. I didn't see lights flashing. But I'm telling you, I felt lighter. Lighter. I remember walking to the end of the, the pew after I, I prayed with him. And I, I put one hand on this pew and one hand on the other. And I picked myself up because I, like, I felt like I was buoyant, like I was light in some way. It was all of that sin being lifted off of me. And I'm telling you, when you feel that guilt-lifting phenomenon that happens when you give your life to Jesus Christ, it's incredible. He cancels our debt. And then finally, Jesus crushes our enemy. So if all those metaphors don't do it for you, how about the metaphor of a military victory? Any military people in the room? There's more than two, I know. Any military people in the room? Okay, look, that's better. Yeah, so this, maybe this is the one for, for you, okay? Paul is still referring to the cross when he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. I hope that you caught that. He disarmed principalities and powers. The enemy has been disarmed by Jesus said this a few weeks ago, everyone watched Jesus on the cross, and as they were watching Jesus on the cross, um, they were thinking that it was Jesus that was being stripped of his clothing, that it was Jesus who was being shamed by his nakedness, that it was Jesus who had experienced the unfair trial, that it was Jesus that was being defeated, that it was Jesus that was being led triumphantly on the road to Calvary's cross, but the reverse was actually occurring. The exact opposite was actually occurring. It was Satan and his demonic forces that were being stripped. It was Satan and his demonic forces that were being shamed. It was Satan and his demonic forces that were being made a spectacle of, that were being defeated, that were being led in this triumphal procession as Jesus triumphed over them. You see, the Romans and military people understand this. When they conquered a city, they celebrated there was a, a parade, a triumphal parade, a victory parade, and the hero would walk in the front, and behind that hero were, you know, the politicians, powerful politicians, powerful leaders, strongest warriors, all behind that hero leading that parade, on spectacle, by the way, embarrassing them. That's what's happening at the cross, and I don't want to I don't want to add to the scripture, but it's like Jesus said to Satan on the cross, checkmate. Checkmate. People who have been in your clutch, who have been subject to your lies, can now be made free. It is finished. Checkmate. It was a victory. It was a public spectacle. And you know every demon in hell was trying to stop the cross from happening because they knew or had a hunch for sure that it would be the end of their reign. It would strip them of their power, and it did. Now, I know many of you are saying, but listen, man, pastor, that all sounds good on paper, but if you could see my life, if you could see my life, 
I'm still being tempted. I'm still being tormented. I'm still being hassled by a very powerful and active Satan. So if all of this is true, if the enemy and his, cone, you know, his, his demons, his conies, is that what you call them? Cronies. Cronies have all been disarmed. <laughs> I'll figure it out eventually. If they've all been disarmed, then why am I being harassed still? Why am I still being tempted? Here's the reason. Here's what I'm saying. You, you no longer need to fear the outcome. You no longer need to fear the outcome. You see, when Jesus took that victory lap, it's because he knew that the real victory parade was coming. Revelation 20 talks about this at the end times, this victory parade, and it says in Revelation 20, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire, and he will be tormented day and night forever. So yeah, many of us, myself included, are being hassled by Satan and hassled by the demons, being tempted and tested and tormented. But ultimately, make sure you understand this, ultimately, ultimately, they cannot be victorious. Ultimately, they can't. Ultimately, even though you may blow it and you may fail, ultimately, because you believe in Jesus Christ, he's going to get you to heaven. Nothing's going to stop that. That's why Paul writes, Romans 8, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things to come, or height, or depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. And I think that's a great place for us to stop today. Let me ask you these two questions as the worship team comes. Number one, is Jesus everything to you? Is he everything to you? Will you agree that he has cleansed your past, canceled your debt, and crushed your enemy? And if so, will you live in that truth? Live in that truth. Will you live in it? We sang a song when I was a kid, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. You are twice his. You are twice his. He created you. He created you. And he purchased you with his own blood. Twice his. So make him everything today. Some of you need to take that first step. Some of you need to give your life to him Some of you need to be baptized. Listen, don't wait. He's worth it. He's worth every minute of it. He's ready to cleanse your past. He's ready to cancel your debt. He's ready to crush your enemy. Join the ranks of the rest of us who have allowed him to do that in our life. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you, Lord, for these incredible words written by Paul so many years ago that remind us that you're everything. You were enough. You are enough. Lord, thank you for your incredible love for us, that nothing can separate us from that love. Thank you, Lord, that you take the sins, the mistakes that have been hanging over our heads, maybe for years for people here, for years, and you nailed it to a cross. You destroyed it. You annulled it. You annihilated it, Lord. Thank you. You have won the victory. 
Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and everyone listening, watching online, would give you everything, would give you their life. You are so worth it. Live in that truth. Live in that truth that you have cleansed our past no matter what it looks like. You have canceled the debt. You've crushed the enemy. We thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Crossroads Community Church. If this message was meaningful to your life, please let us know by sending an email to office at crossroads.cc. You can also watch our services live every Sunday at 9.30 and 11 a.m. or visit our campus in Yorktown, Virginia. If you would like to connect with us, fill out our Connect card by the link in our podcast description. We hope you have a blessed week and we can't wait for you to listen again soon.